spaghetti. Like it was, uh, it took you, that long. You have a gift for making this book worse. <laughs> And welcome to the Dan Brown Code. I'm Lena. I am Forrest, and we're here in beautiful Los Angeles, California. Yeah, coming at you, uh, well, recorded from <laughs> my little uh, studio. It's nice, and it's pretty quiet in here. Yeah, it's 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 better it's better conditions than my office. <laughs> um, I'll probably post up a picture on Twitter about of how our setup looks, but. You know, it's actually not too bad. We're doing okay. No, it's very professional. I like it. We are sharing one mic. Uh, you'll probably hear it. We're like Bruce Springsteen and Stephen Van Zant. I don't know. But... <laughs> it's not a Lena reference. I don't think I've ever heard a Bruce Springsteen song what all the way the through. How is that possible? <laughs> I wasn't raised by white people. <laughs> not even, I don't, but still. You've lived in, 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 in the USA. I was born in the USA, in yeah, fact. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, We're starting Digital Fortress today. Oh, boy, it's oh, a, boy. It's, I think Dan Brown's first novel. Yes. Uh, 1998. 1998. And guys, it's really good. Oh, it's so good. We like it a lot. Mm-hmm. No, you guys, it's really hard to get through. Um, and, and we'll go through it. But, like, the, the plot is very question mark. And then, um, but the grammar and, like, the sentence structure is a little better. Then I think the Dan Brown novels, or the the Langdon novels. The Langdon novels. Um, I think probably, but I'm not entirely convinced on that. I think it's just new and novel. Yeah, not perhaps. Novel, novel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungover podcasting today, guys. So the energy is going to be weird. <laughs> let's start with the prologue. All right, let's. We get a very classic Dan Brown beginning. Uh, before it was classic. Mm-hmm. It's uh. A person, a mystery person, dies mysteriously. We get his name. Um, Ensei Tonkado. Right, but we don't know who that is. Nah, he's just some guy. Yeah. Uh, and he's clutching his chest and realizing the horror of his mistake. And then uh, he has a ring and he's like holding it out yep. to the people around him as he's dying of some kind of heart complication. In the glimmering Andalusian sun. Yeah, he's in Seville. That's and, it, right? Uh, and then we're on to chapter one, and things get sexy immediately. Oh man! Um, so as we as we I think noted before, maybe not on camera. Uh, camera. Wow. <laughs> on mic. Um, my my boyfriend's name is David, and and it it made it weird, but also they call him Becker for most of the book. Yeah. So it's not too bad. So let's get into it. Yeah. So we meet our two main protagonists, Susan Fletcher and David Becker. And uh, they're they're in connubial bliss in a bed in the Smoky Mountains. What, what kind of bliss? I think connubial is a word. Okay. Right? <laughs> if it's not a word, uh, do not at me. <laughs> what's, this, what's the spelling? C o n n u b i a l. C o n. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What does it mean? Relating to the marriage or the relationship of a married <laughs> couple, conjugal. Okay, they're not married. Um, but it is conjugal. No, it is conjugal, and uh, they're they're in the bed and breakfast, and David asks uh, Susan to marry him. And and she's staring into his deep green eyes, and it's very nice, yeah. and then he disappears. Because it it's him. a dream, and the phone's ringing. Uh, D- David's um, initials are DB, much like another green-eyed hero. Oh my hero. god. <laughs> 
Oh, I don't like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) I have no doubt in my mind that that's what it's intended to be. Anyway. Dan Brown is a master of sexy dialogue. (laughs) So Susan picks up the phone. Hello? Susan, it's David. Did I wake you? She smiled. I was just dreaming of you. Come over and play. He laughed. It's still dark out. Mmm, she moaned sensuously. Gross, gross. <laughs> then definitely come over and play. We can sleep in before we head north. And so that's what he's calling about, is he's got to cancel their trip to Stone Manor or postpone it, because he has to leave um, for mysterious reasons. Even though this was supposed to be their six-month anniversary of their engagement. Right, not of their relationship. <laughs> and he's getting on a plane somewhere, and he won't explain. She's like, I really gotta go. I'll phone and explain later. He can't just be like, I'm going to Spain. It's yeah. complicated. See you Spain later. Spain on a plane. Uh, <laughs> so here's why I don't think that Dan Brown's any better at writing in this novel. Oh, so, I didn't say he's better at <laughs> writing. I just said his sentences are structured okay. better. But I, So this is the kind of uh, emotional revelation we get. But I made reservations, Susan said. Hurt. I got our old room at Stone Manor. I know, but... Tonight was supposed to be special. Celebrate six months. You do remember we're engaged, don't you? And so in that exchange, we learn through the art of him telling us that Susan is hurt. We learn that they both know they've been engaged for six months. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, And that they got the old room at Stone Manor. That's just economy of writing. And let me tell you, folks, they are not going to make the reservation. No. Um, what's Susan's reaction to being spurned this way on Saturday morning? She just lays in bed for hours waiting for him to call again. She does again. not. She lays in the tub for hours. No, it says... Okay, no. It says... Oh, she did Susan Fletcher lay awake for hours waiting for him to call back, which doesn't make sense because he'd yeah. go back to sleep and then yeah. he would call. And then she uh, submerges herself in the soapy water. Yeah, um, presumably getting soap in her eyes, which is not good. Yeah, she sits as the water goes from hot to lukewarm, finally to cold. Uh, she's got her phone sitting there, right next to the bathtub. I think men think women take baths. I've taken one bath in the last like five. <laughs> no, it's not true. I took one in England. I've taken two baths in the last like two years, and they're they're great. But like, I get pretty bored after like twenty minutes in the bath. Yeah, sometimes I'll do like a witchy bath with like some herbs and stuff, yeah. but I don't wash myself in the bath. That's not no, what it's, that's it's, for. No, it, it doesn't work. I don't, I, just, I, I don't understand the process. <laughs> you don't come out clean. No. You just come out soapy with the yeah. same grime. And then you got to rinse yourself off in the shower anyways, and it's like, well, I might as well just take a shower. <laughs> um, so she's freaking out because he hasn't called. Yeah. Um, and so the phone finally does ring, and it's Susan's boss calling to sexually harass her. <laughs> And to, you know, weigh in on her relationship. Basically, yeah. It's not it's not fun. He, she, he calls and she's like, uh, David? Because that's how you open. Yeah. Yeah, open. It's Strathmore. Oh, it's, a, it's 1998 and it's a cordless phone. So there is no mm-hmm. caller ID. So she doesn't know that David's oh, calling. Oh, yeah, that's true. So she could just say, hello? And then she wouldn't be in a situation where she has to explain her relationship to her boss. Yeah. But it's Commander Strathmore. Trevor Strathmore. Great first name choice. Yeah. Um, and there's an emergency in crypto, and she has to run to work. Mm-hmm. But also, David Becker's a good man. Don't ever lose him. Yeah, that too. Gotta have relationship advice from the boss. You, uh, <laughs> uh, otherwise, you should break up with him. And so here, so there's an emergency in crypto. She gotta go. And my question here. Susan Fletcher stood wrapped in a towel and dripped on the neatly folded clothes she set out the night before. Are her clothes on the bathroom floor? It sounds like it, doesn't it? That's fucked up. It might be on her bedroom floor. And also, like... But you still don't need them... 
put them down on the floor. Yeah, and pres- so the clothes she set out were hiking shorts, a sweater for the cool mountain evenings, and the new lingerie she'd bought for the nights. I didn't but, even read that. <laughs> I skipped right over it. <laughs> but, but the thing, the thing is this: like, wouldn't you pack most of your clothes and just lay out the ones you were going to drive up in? She's go- she was presum- going to wear the lingerie under the hiking shorts. No, I don't know a lot about having sex, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure you don't wear the lingerie all day. It's true. Lingerie is gross and itchy. Um, it's usually made of plastic. Yeah. What whatever's going on here, it's just revealing a lot about Dan Brown and how he lives his life. <laughs> And so chapter two, we're with David Becker in the Learjet 660 as he's uh, flying to Spain. He seems bummed out about the whole thing. And... Plain names. <laughs> Plain names. Yeah. <laughs> anytime, he keeps up this whole thing of anytime we can get any kind of brand name or anything, we get it. This is hypnotizing me. I love it so much. <laughs> Sorry, I'll turn it off. Please, please do not. I love it so much. On the on the TV behind Lena, there's some kind of screensaver. It's just like an aerial shot of, I think, a computer animated. No, no, this system. is real. All this of this is real. Is, yeah, all of this is uh, drone shots. It's okay. It's the Apple. It's the new Apple TV. They do like the drone shots of different cities. I think this one's Dubai. It's wonderful. Yeah, this is Dubai. Okay, you can tell because of all the circles. Yeah, you can tell because of all the building just built by free workers <laughs> <laughs> having good times in their lives. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So he's uh, on the plane, and yeah. uh, he's sad that he's on this trip. He wanted to, he wants to call her, but he can't because the phone on board is out of order. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're gonna find out more about David Becker's situation. As the book goes on. You've not read this book before, right? No. So, so you've, you're only twenty chapters in. I'm going. I'm going in so blind. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how things go down, but I'm intrigued to at the end of this section get your get your take on where you think we're headed. Chapter 3, Susan's going to work. What does she drive? Uh, a Volvo sedan, because she's a sensible yeah. woman. What kind of, uh, what brand name of barbed wire fence do, do they have at a the A cyclone NSA? fence. What is happening? <laughs> um, yeah, so the guard checks Susan's IDs. and What's got, her end? Yeah. She's got to go through a couple security checkpoints. And there's a stocky sentry with attack dogs and a machine gun who's letting her through. And then she pulls into the employee parking lot C. This is where we find out that she works at the NSA. When this book came out, I was not aware of the NSA, and the book makes a big deal about how no one's aware of the NSA, really. 3% of people. 3% of Americans, and that's got to be different now, right? Oh, surely that's different. Um, the, the, the mood surrounding the NSA has changed a lot. This book's politics are this book. <laughs> wild. Dan Brown loves cops. He you loves guys, so much. more than anything, maybe more than Blythe. <laughs> for yeah. being real. Um, and so now that we're in chapter three, we finally get a physical description of Susan. Which I'm, I'm, <laughs> I won't. I'm you. So before I read the book, Horace read just this chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, this paragraph to me, and it it ruined my whole week. <laughs> yeah. So if you cover your ears, I'll let listeners know what this character is like. <laughs> The guard admired Susan as she began her walk down the cement causeway. He noticed that her strong, hazel eyes seemed distant today, but her cheeks had a flushed freshness and her shoulder-length auburn hair looked newly blown dry. Trailing her was the faint scent of Johnson's baby powder. His eyes fell the length of her slender torso, to her white blouse with the bra barely visible beneath, to her knee-length khaki skirt, and finally, to her legs, ellipsis, Susan Fletcher's legs. Hard to imagine they support a 170 IQ, he mused to himself. 
I've never frowned so hard in my life. Okay, I have some things to talk about there. Yep. Um, I also saw a tweet the other day about, um, like, I think, like, 3% of people are redheads and all of them are X-Men. They're also all Dan Brown <laughs> sidekicks. Um, or, in this case, protagonists. Yeah. Um, Does Aubrey mean red hair? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been, I, somehow I thought it was, like, a sandy blonde. I don't know. Um, so yeah, Susan's walking into work into the into the vault like door with enormous letters that read crypto. Uh, it's the Bitcoin headquarters. How could you say that as soon as I took your <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Uh And she's thinking about her boyfriend, fiance, boy fiance, boy fiance. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> But he is the boy professor. He's the youngest full professor at Georgetown University and a brilliant foreign language specialist. Okay. Uh, He's practically a celebrity in the world of academia. So I want to make a note here. For the next few chapters, what we get is like two lines of plot and then like 50 the, the pages of backstory. Of, of, backstory. Of, of, their, of their romantic story. We get so much expo and it's so poorly interwoven. Yeah. Uh, it's really distracting. Because like two pages into the expo, you're like... Um, what book is this? Where? <laughs> what year is it? So, David Becker has was born with an eidetic memory. He's mastered six Asian dialects, as well as Spanish, French, and Italian. I'm sorry, what? Six Asian dialects. <laughs> you know? What? I dialects don't... of the Asian language? <laughs> I, I guess. You guys, um... there's so much of this that I, like, I guess I skipped over, because I was making truffles and not... <laughs> Shit. Yeah, no, I got that shit highlighted as hell. Um, <laughs> um, so we can... Let me just go over what he looks like. Oh, before we do that... Oh, sorry. Um, I have one more thing highlighted before the description of him. Mm. He spoke with authority and enthusiasm, apparently oblivious to the adoring gazes of his star-struck co-eds. Dan <laughs> Brown, more than once, has been tempted by his high school students. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, it's, imp- no. it's impossible that that is oh, not the no. case. It is impossible that that is not... Right? Oh, you're right, but I hate it. <laughs> oh. So, uh... Very, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy now. <laughs> well, I'll be read to you about what David Becker looks like. That'll cheer me up. Becker was dark, a rugged, youthful 35, with sharp green eyes and a wit to match. Mm. His strong jaw and taut features <laughs> reminded, reminded Susan of carved marble. Marble? Dark marble? There's dark marble. Okay. My parents' countertops look dark marble. Is he marble. black? I don't know. He's just dark. What does that mean when people say tall, dark, and handsome? I, 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 I was going to ask you because I Because <laughs> like, it's usually about white people when they don't say it. And it's like, I, uh, how dark? <laughs> uh, fans, friends, countrymen, if you know. <laughs> let us know. If you know what tall, dark, and handsome means, let us know. Because I haven't come across it. Um, over six feet tall, of course. <laughs> Not like Dan Brown. Um, Becker moved across a squash court faster than any of his colleagues could comprehend. He just loves asshole sports. Um, after soundly beating like his opponent... NCIS character. After soundly beating his opponent, he would cool off by dousing his head in a drinking fountain. Gross! <laughs> Very gross. People drink out of that. Don't get your sweat in the drinking fountain, you shithead. And soaking his tuft of thick black hair... Then, still dripping, he'd eat his opponent. He'd treat his opponent to a fruit shake and a bagel. Tuft? Just one tuft of hair? <laughs> tuft of hair. But it's thick. Um, thick. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
are drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah. As with all young professors, his salary was modest. Oh, once you're like a full professor, isn't don't, isn't like a, it's a good salary? I don't know. As okay, all I know is that there's so much of, of this book is about how he doesn't make as much money as Susan Fletcher. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's, it's an irritating theme. It's never going to end. We we flash back. We're going over how they met, and um, we, he after his morning jog, he downs a quart of orange juice as that he listens so to much his sugar. messages. I'm I'm not. I mean, <laughs> do whatever you want, but also that's a lot of sugar. Yeah. You know? It's, it, it's a lot of orange juice. And he listened to the, the playback yeah, of, of his, his answering machine. Okay. Yeah, so David Becker, to uh, garnish his salary, takes little translating jobs from government agencies. And he got a call from the NSA this time. He's like, what the fuck is that? I don't think that's what it means to garnish your, your salary. No, it doesn't. But um, <laughs> I couldn't think of the right word. Supplement? <laughs> Supplement, augment. There's a lot of options. <laughs> and I couldn't think of that. But we went with garnish, which means yeah. the, to have less money. And Lena's making me feel stupid. No! <laughs> and we spend like two pages learning what the fuck the NSA is. And it's the NSA. You all know what it is. It has a, it's this horrible black box building. Yeah, you know, watch the documentary or yeah. whatever if you want. Citizen Darn... Citizen ten? Zero? What? No. Citizen four. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> Actually, so the woman who made Citizen Four also had this amazing um, art exhibit in New York, and I got this postcard from it, but it was about, like, creepy NSA shit, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, we'll talk about it later, um, but I got... Postcard five hundred and eighty-five out of a thousand. So cool. Yeah, I'm gonna put this. There's all this shit that's going on my wall. Yeah. Um, my walls are bare. They're bare. <laughs> We're gonna fix it. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, um, so uh, he solves a, a code using his knowledge of Mandarin and kanji. Yeah. So he's he's solving a code, and they keep on bringing him symbols they've decoded out of the thing, and he's like. And they, they aren't making any sense. And then he says, ah, these, these Chinese characters that you've asked me to decrypt are also all in, quote, the kanji language. I don't know a lot about Japanese, but I do know kanji are not a language. No, they're characters. <laughs> they are a writing it's system. It's an alphabet. It's a mixed logo graphics. It's an alphabet. All the cryptographers are very impressed. And as David Becker's walking out of the day, he's successful and he's going to go play squash, I think. He runs into his destiny. Yeah, because the head of crypto wants to talk to him. And it's she's, Susan Fletcher. She's on her way out now. She, Becker laughed, he had yet to see a female inside the NSA. Um, so much of the book is about this, too. He had the ID card in the woman's blouse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> She was not only a woman, but an attractive woman at that. And they start flirting, like, immediately, and he's late for his squash, um... Game? Game. Match? Even though he's never late for squash. Class, maybe, but never squash. <laughs> squash. <laughs> Do you know what a popover is? Yeah. What is a popover? It's, okay. like, it's a Yorkshire pudding, okay. basically. So they're having those and some cranberry juice. Where do you Becker, get those? Becker loves fucking juice. He loves <laughs> juice. <laughs> cannot stop drinking juice. Um, uh, we learned that Susan Fletcher is a little bit older than David. She's 38. He's 35. Yeah. And, uh, she's very smart. Uh, and then we get this line. You and I both have met a lot of smart people. There they were. Two highly analytical minds, presumably immune to irrational infatuations. 
But somehow, while they sat there discussing linguistic morphology and pseudo-random number generators, they felt like a couple of teenagers. Everything was fireworks. And, like, analytical people aren't any more immune to, like, romance yeah. than, than dummies. I'm a highly analytical person, and I'm an emotional wreck. Yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, I fucking, like burst out with emotions at CW programming. I cried in the Scooby-Doo movie last weekend. <laughs> the point being analytical minds are uh, capable of emotion. I don't feel love. Also, um, I feel like a linguist isn't necessarily... If you're going to talk about being analytical in that like you have like an ex- a robotic math brain... I mean, linguistics is like the mathematics of language. It's more of a science than like any other... That's true. Thing. Is but, he a linguist? Uh, he's... It's undefined. It says linguist, but, like, also he speaks a bunch of languages that most linguists kind of don't. Right. Um, he gives lectures on, like, etymology and shit, so I think he's mostly a linguistics professor. Mm-hmm. But, like, also he's real good at Spanish. A celebrity in the world of academia. Yes. It's such a big world. <laughs> you know? He's, like, a fresh well, he's professor? Not, he's not even a celebrity. Fresher? He's practically a celebrity in the world of academia. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susan Fletcher, as she's talking to David Becker, realizes that uh, he's not. The, he loves teaching too much to take what she was going to offer him, which was a trial in their Asiatic cryptography division. Um, but she she was like, "Oh no, I'm not going to ruin the mood by talking business." Uh, she felt like a schoolgirl all over yeah. again. Nothing was going to spoil it, and nothing did. Yeah, and so we get some... women in love are, are girls. Women <laughs> women can't experience like love and infatuation. That's no, women not, are crones, okay. but girls are fresh and open <laughs> to romantic experiences. Um, and so then, you know, we learn that their their courtship was slow and romantic. This is so ugly. Stolen escapes whenever blah blah blah. They're watching a soccer game and they have this is Dan Brown's witty banter between two uh, highly analytical minds. <laughs> what sport did you say you play? Susan teased. Zucchini. <laughs> it's called squash. She gave him a dumb look. It's like zucchini, he said, but the court's smaller. <laughs> Susan pushes uh, him at that point. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a, that's a joke I probably would say, but I would not write it in a book. <laughs> I may not say it to someone I'm trying to get to take me to bed. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, they do uh, word association things. Oh, oh, God. I have a lot of questions. Well, I have one question, really. Doctor. Uh, Seuss. Hmm, try this one. Kitchen. Bedroom. Susan Archer, eyebrows, eyebrows coily. Okay, how about this? Cat. Gut. Gut? Yeah, cat gut. Squash racket. String of champions. Okay. <laughs> Was that supposed to end with pussy? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's my question. <laughs> yeah. Could be. You can't see my book, but every two pages, <laughs> there's just a frowny face. <laughs> For example. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been... I have yikes written over some things. But I, 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 I didn't. I didn't think of the pussy thing there. I don't like that at all. I'm upset at you now. Uh, Susan's diagnosis of Becker is that he's a childish, sexually frustrated squash fiend. Um, and then, and then they ask questions over dessert. Where did you learn mathematics? How did you end up the NSA? How did you get so captivating? This is some real bad shit. Um. Oh, but also we learned that it's okay that Susan's smart and hot because she was a late bloomer. God forbid she's always hot. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and also smart. Susan's Aunt Clara had once told her God's apology for her plainness was to give her brains a premature apology, Becker thought. This whole... Mind you, this is still the chapter in which she enters oh God. the She's building. She's walking into work and we're like learning a whole backstory of this dumb chapter. <laughs> she, um, how did you get into cryptology? She, someone uh, gave her a love poem and it encrypted it with a number substitution scheme. The president of the computer club. That, the computer club. <laughs> this is something that has happened to me. My, fr- my, mm-hmm. my boyfriend yeah. Prime did this exact thing to me okay. in middle school. So and... riddle me this. <laughs> uh, when Susan decrypts the poetry... She watches in wonder as the seemingly random digits turn magically into beautiful poetry. Do we think that this 8th grade president of the computer club is actually writing beautiful poetry? Or is it just in Susan's mind eye? Or is Dan Brown just an idiot? So, I'll tell you what happened in my case. In my case, the president of the computer club uh, did not write his own poem. But wrote a... Just transcribed a a better poem. And in this case, it just says that Frank... uh, Oh, he typed her a love poem, poem didn't okay. necessarily write it. So okay. my guess is it's not his poetry. That's fair. I'm, I'm Susan. <laughs> you captivate me like the ones and zeros on my binary computer. <laughs> it's it's the eighties probably. <laughs> Computers are yeah, made of made of cards. I think. <laughs> uh, and then almost twenty years later, after she got her master's in mathematics, so does she get her math master's when she's like? 30 because she's at this point 12 and then almost 20 years later so almost 20 years after you're 12 she finishes her masters so she's 30 or 29 or something yeah seems like late to finish your masters um it says and studying number theory on full scholarship from mit okay so she's done her masters and her phd oh okay okay that's fair yeah um, and her doctoral thesis is called Cryptographic Methods, Protocols, and Algorithms for Manual Applications, which is a super general title for a thesis. Yeah. What is it about? Well, it's about cryptographic methods. <laughs> um, and so then the NSA, uh, you know, puts her through a... A, a, a gauntlet. A gauntlet. I was going to say. Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> um, which include taped inquiries into their sexual orientations and practices. When the interviewer asked Susan if she'd ever engaged in sex with animals, she almost walked out, but somehow the mystery carried her through. And so she got hired. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. This is where I have a frowning face in my book. I have an ugh here. <laughs> <laughs> Becker sat riveted by her stories. They actually asked you if you'd had sex with animals? Susan shrugged. Part of the routine background check. Well, Becker fought off a grin. What did you say? She kicked him under the table. I told them no. Then she added, until last night, it was true. So I Stop guess, it! I guess they had sex the night before her interview. Or she fucked a dog. No, 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 no. <laughs> In Susan's eyes, David was as close to perfect as she could imagine. That's an awful sentence. There's so many weird qualifiers. Yeah, that's... <laughs> um, uh, his, but... His his bad quality is whenever they go out, he insists on picking up the check, even though she makes, she more, makes money way than the fuck more money than gags. He, he does. But he's he sucks. <laughs> um, They're both adults. Yeah, and so also this one of their dates together. 
whether it's during trips to the Smithsonian, bike rides, or burning spaghetti in Susan's kitchen. How the fuck? It's in water. Are you burning spaghetti? <laughs> Wait, no, I really want to know. I mean, I guess the sauce, but like, how bad are you? It's just, so it's so hard to burn to anything in the spaghetti put... making process. <laughs> like, who, it goes mushy, who, right? Who... It just goes into mush. Yeah, well, I'm like, who the fuck is out here making spaghetti sauce but burning it? Like, buy a fucking can of ragu, bitch. If you cannot cook the spaghetti sauce, <laughs> I really assume the worst of Dan Brown <laughs> at all moments. It's... Blah blah. blah. You talk to the NSA and Susan's the head of breaking codes and shit. Um, except that she had to lie to David because there's something there's something extra about her job. Um, Do we find it out here? Or? We just we just get it mentioned that it was not entirely true, mm. and uh, then she starts giving him a crash course in cryptography and starts with the Caesar cipher, which is kind of a thing. And then they, they she does a she gives him a code and then he mm. solves it and says, "I'm glad we met," and he responds with me too. I. I think that's kind of cute. I wrote, no, so, I think I wrote, it is cute. I wrote sort of cute in my book. But soon after, I had a, uh, <laughs> a frowny face. Uh, so What happened? Oh, her delicate European features. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to read this one since you have to read the last one. <laughs> Uh, he'd never been so attracted to a woman in, in his life. Her, de- her, blah, blah, her delicate European features and soft brown eyes reminded him of an ad for Estee Lauder. Perfume? Like, Makeup. <laughs> uh, just the person. <laughs> if Susan's body had been lanky and awkward as a teenager, it sure wasn't now. Somewhere along the way, she had developed a willowy grace, slender and tall with full, firm breasts, <laughs> and a perfectly flat abdomen. Forrest, maybe you should go. <laughs> this is so awful. <laughs> and I want to take a nap now. <laughs> We've got, we've got to power through we it. we got to do it. Okay. It's been two years since they met, so and then he proposes on the weekend of the Smoky Mountains. Uh, he did it without a ring, just blurted it out. So at this, so in the, in the book we're reading, Susan Fletcher is now 40, and therefore a disgusting crone not fit to be discussed. She's a swimsuit um, model, though. She's never had any kids, so she still <laughs> looks good. Oh, yeah. She's the only swimsuit model David's ever met with a PhD in applied math, or doctorate in applied mathematics and number theory. How much of Fraser have you seen? Uh, three seasons ish. So I don't know if you saw like when he fall- he meets the swimsuit model slash marine biologist. I think I and have. No one believes him. Yes, I have. Seen That's that. really great. It's a- um, <laughs> and then they have sex by the fire, and it sucks. I hate it. Oh, they do. Oh no, I, I skipped it again. <laughs> they made lump. All- they made love. They made lump all night by the warmth of the fire. Where is? Um, but that was six years ago, right before David was unexpectedly promoted to chairman of the Modern Language Sorry, that Department. Doesn't, that doesn't say that. What, what? They made love on the... Oh, no! Yes, it does say that! I promise it says it. <laughs> <laughs> but ever, in the six months since then, their relationship's been on a downward slide. And now Susan finally opens the fucking door to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and we only get a little bit of plot before we launch into it. <laughs> yeah, Dan Brown doesn't know how true it is when he says uh, that the crypto door beeped waking Susan from her depressing reverie. Because it did depress me. <laughs> um. uh, the door is confusing and makes a 360 degree... Is it a... Like a panel that flips in the in the middle. Yeah, you pull you pull the busted Beethoven off of the bookshelf, and then it just rotates around and whisks you into the crypto it's department. A, uh, I have been watching a lot of Scooby Doo lately. <laughs> so it's a big ass room. I have and, no idea what this room looks like. Well, let me tell you about it. <laughs> I still don't know. It's an it's an enormous circular chamber that rose five stories. 
Its transparent, domed ceiling towered 120 feet at its central peak. The plexiglass cupola was embedded with a polycarbonate mesh that can withstand a 2 megaton blast. Um, and it makes all the light a delicate lace work. And then in the middle of the room is this big zucchini thing. Okay, hold on, stop. So, is this room at the top of the building? Then, if it has a transparent dome on top? I just kind of thought it was its own building. Oh, its own building. I don't know. It might be in the middle of the building, top of the building. I don't so, know. so this door is outside? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then it fades into black, right? We got there already? Uh, yeah, so it, it fades from the glass dome into a... a Opaque black as it reaches the floor, a shimmering expanse of polished black tile that shone with an eerie luster, giving one the unsettling sensation that the floor was transparent. Black ice. Um, the tiny particles of dust drift upward in wide, unsuspecting spirals. Yeah. Unsuspecting <laughs> of the deionizing system? That's yeah, why? so okay. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's that's the thing that's making them spiral up, and it just seems like they're unaware of their impending doom and cleansing okay. from the room. <laughs> Cleansing. So yeah, this big ass torpedo thing in the middle of the room is actually Transalter, uh, which is a it's a it's a super code breaking computer that fucks up codes real hard by having having a lot of processors. They wouldn't call it Transalter. Transalter. <laughs> because nerds always call things some dumb nerd shit. They don't call it like this is what it does. <laughs> I mean, they call it Hal or something. Yeah, yeah, they call it yeah. So yeah, then we get like a, a long thing about how or like Rosetta. Public key encryptions that fucked up their intelligence gathering capability, but so they built Transalter that will allow them to break all codes, and uh, it is it, it sounds terrifying, and it probably exists. It's so. very scary, and it's painted in like it's it's, it's talked about in a heroic way, like they've oh God, he's, been he's, able to foil all so these like terrorists it. or whatever, and it's it's very frightening like when they describe what transalter does it's not good it's very like basically they built a computer that can brute force through any uh encryption because it has three million processors Mm -hmm. on it and they're like we can read any emails now but we can't tell anyone because they won't understand that we're doing it in their best interest and i'm like you you are big brother you're saying the same things that Big Brother says, <laughs> like, and so like as soon as it's successful, Strathmore, the commander, immediately leaks information that it had been a complete failure. All the activity in the crypto wing was supposedly an attempt to salvage their two billion dollar fiasco, and it's not because they've got this new computer breaking up in every code in the world. So yeah, they're capturing drug lords, terrorists, embezzlers, and like also probably just left wing <laughs> protesters, black people. <laughs> yeah, intelligence gathering had never been easier. Yeah. Codes intercepted by the NSA entered Transalter as totally illegible ciphers and were spit out minutes later as perfectly readable clear text. No more secrets. Dan Brown, this is horrifying. This Snoop- is a horror novel. Snooping my tweets. <laughs> Your tweets are out there. No, they're not. I, I, uh, my tweets are encrypted. <laughs> uh, make their charade of incompetence complete. The NSA lobbied fiercely against all new computer encryption software, insisting it crippled them and made it impossible for lawmakers to catch and prosecute the criminals. Civil rights groups rejoiced because they love criminals, <laughs> insisting that the NSA shouldn't be reading their mail anyways. True and correct. Uh, <laughs> The NSA had lost the battle, exactly as I had planned. The entire electronic global community had been fooled, or so it seemed. We're only on chapter five now. Yes. Um, but the, 
that ch- chapter Those three two, is so long. Yeah, three and four are like long and dense. And so Susan's confused if it's an emergency. Why is she the only one there? Mm-hmm. Um, there she exists, traverses the floor. Yeah. Cryptographers, even though they're all workaholics, have an unwritten rule. They take Saturdays off, which sounds like a written rule to me. Why isn't it Sundays? Is it because they're all anti-religious assholes? I think so. Okay. We get some trans-alter descriptions. It looms uh, to her right. Sounded generous. Eight stories below. Sounded oddly ominous today. Uh, it's like being trapped with some grand futuristic beast. You know a futuristic beast? How beasts are traditionally <laughs> futuristic. Um, and Commander Strathmore is in his workstation, which is called the Fishbowl. One can imagine why. It's because the walls are made of glass. It has a thick oak door on the outside. Sounds cool. Uh, Commander Strathmore is a fifty is the 56-year-old Deputy Director of Operations at Crypto, and that is not old enough to be her father figure. Yes, I have I, I, have, <laughs> I, have, I have a highlight and said she is 40. <laughs> um, he was the one who hired her over a decade ago, so he would have been 46 and, and she, she would have been, been 30, 30, which is like not when you saw it. He's like a bother to me. I'm 30 years old. It's not okay. <laughs> Man, and then we learn about the harassment of Susan in the workplace and Strathmore... Uh, has hired her uh, a training ground for new cryptographers, new male cryptographers. Although Strathmore never t- tolerated the hazing of anyone, he was especially protective of his sole female staff member. When accused of favoritism, he simply replied with the truth. Susan Fletcher was one of the brightest young recruits he'd ever seen, and he had no intention of losing her to sexual harassment. I think Dan Brown had a friend or something who was sexually harassed at work or something, and then didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And then is playing out that guilt in all of his work now. It's very strange. It is very strange. Because like the, 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 the way it works here, where it's like Susan doesn't do any standing up for herself, just Commander Strathmore is such a good dad, work dad, that like he is the one that does all the protecting. It feels, it feels weird. It does feel weird. And I understand that like in the, in the context of like an all-male workplace, it's not necessarily... Uh, comfortable to stand up to yeah. that kind of culture, so she may be apprehensive about like you know standing up for herself in, mm-hmm. in a predominantly male workplace. But the way that it's written is like I don't know is kind of skin crawly, and I don't like it. Yeah. So the harassment Susan faces at first is one of the cryptographers had scanned a photo from a pornographic magazine and edited Susan's head onto the body of one of the porn stars. And it says the effect has been quite convincing. And, like, I've seen porn fakes from the 90s, and one thing they are not is convincing. <laughs> like, come on. And uh, he, that guy gets fired because you don't fuck with Susan Fletcher. And also... she's Commander Strathmore's golden girl. And also, they uh, he sends out a memo. Like, this asshole got fired for this yeah. reason. Don't do it. And so, yeah, Strathmore's young for a commander because he's so good at analyses of complex situations and his uncanny ability to see past the moral perplexities surrounding the NSA's difficult decisions and to act without remorse in the interest of the common good. Dan Brown is just like loves this guy because he's a badass and doesn't care about ethics or any dumb shit like that. Okay, next paragraph. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that Strathmore loved his country. He was known (laughs) to his colleagues as a patriot and a visionary, a decent man in a world of lies. 
He's After we just did a description of how he lied to the public to hide yeah. uh, technological advancement. Okay, I want to make a note. I can't tell if Dan Brown is setting up Strathmore to be like uh, a teabing almost, where he's mm-hmm. like a good but overzealous, or or good but like over ruthless or not remorseful, um, like like an idealist like yeah. he believes in like the security of the United States and he'll do anything to get it and so like he'll be a villain later um so or if Dan Brown is just that tone deaf yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I remember but I'm not entirely sure okay um very lopsided information here Strathmore was a rangy thick fleshed man whose muted features somehow disguised his hard nosed efficiency and demand for perfection. None of these words mean anything. <laughs> Dan Brown has a real gift for physical descriptions that like do not help you in any way. <laughs> muted features? What is this he has like a small nose? His thick flesh. <laughs> is he a packy term? <laughs> He's uh, an elephant. <laughs> Uh, his gray eyes usually suggested a confidence and discretion born from experience, but today they looked wild and unsettled. unsettled. Okay, moving forward, I'm just going to imagine a manatee when I think about Strathmore. <laughs> he was sitting behind a modern desk with two recessed keypads and a computer monitor at one end. It recessed? Was strewn, it Wait. was strewn with computer printouts, lest you forget that this is the computer agency. <laughs> What's a recessed... So the key Keypad? Or keyboard. I think I, I mean it says keypads, but I think I think it's just like they're built into the desk somehow, which oh, seems very bad reasons. ergonomically. Yeah, it's bad for you. But also, I don't know how much keying he has to do with those keypads. Because if it was a keyboard, uh, you want it to be up here so you don't get carpal yeah. tunnel. But if you're just like entering a password every once in a while, I think it's okay if it's mm. in the desk. Okay. Um, uh, they hate the EFF here at the NSA. The EFFs all over me about civilian privacy rights again. <laughs> Susan chuckled. The EFF, or Electronics Frontier Foundation, was a worldwide coalition of computer users and lawyers <laughs> who had founded a powerful civil liberties coalition aimed at supporting free speech online and educating others to the realities and dangers of living in an electronic world. Curse them! <laughs> I guess this is a positive description. They were constantly lobbying against what they call the Orwellian eavesdropping capabilities of government agencies, particularly the NSA. The AFF is a perpetual thorn in Strathmore's side. Don't be fucking evil. <laughs> Sounds like business as usual, she said. So what's the big emergency you got me out of the tub for? Um, he doesn't need to know that she was in the tub. No. But she, she this is inappropriate. <laughs> Conduct in the workplace. I, I always like telling my work dad about how I was in the task. I just did a Title IX I training. I was naked when you called me work dad. <laughs> <laughs> I just did a uh, Title IX training for law school. And, like, don't do this shit. <laughs> um, and uh, so it turns out Transalter has been... Uh, I fucking can't. It's it's it has an outside file that's been trying to decrypt and it's been taking almost sixteen hours, which is wildly long. Even for like impossible codes, they feed it as like a test. It only takes three hours maximum. And that's but with a diagnostic. Thing, yeah, and so this thing, which is a re, which is a real file out there in the world, still going for over fifteen hours. Oh, it's a it's a public sector uh, file. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. Every, it's not a public sector. Transalter's fine. It's not a virus. Um, probably, I guess. They can check that. Uh, we get a lot of bullshit things that I don't care and about. And then the next page is 
just the theme song for the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> uh, this code is unbreakable. Susan stared at him and almost laughed. Unbreakable? What was that supposed to be? Alive. There, Damn was, it. there was no such thing as an unbreakable code. Some took longer than that, but every code was breakable. It was mathematically guaranteed. The code's unbreakable, he repeated flatly. Unbreakable? This is a, this is a different paragraph. I know it sounds like I'm reading the same thing over again. This is a different paragraph. <laughs> Susan couldn't believe the word had been uttered by a man with 27 years of code analysis experience. Unbreakable, sir, she said uneasily. What about the Bukowski principle? Uh, this code's different. Different? Susan now added scans. An unbreakable code is a mathematical impossibility. He knows that. <laughs> he said unbreakable so many fucking times. I want to do an aside about that theme song. Yeah. Uh, a, it's great. I like that theme song. And I like that they got the Gregory brothers who, oh, yeah. who do, do the, the, the things. The, the, yeah, the, the clown in your windows and yeah. your people up. They got them to do the theme song <laughs> for a real TV show and it's great because that's, it's, it's like when they get Wolf Blitzer to be on CNN yeah. in, a sh- in a movie. I just saw Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout. <laughs> well, that was, that was actually Simon Pegg and a Wolf Blitzer mask. I don't know if you... That's the spoiler. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Unbreakable code, and they're all stressed about it. Oh, so it's a new encryption protocol, and it has a rotating clear text function. Okay, I think you Googled this, which I didn't. I Googled it, and as far as I can tell, it doesn't mean anything. Um, So. I didn't look up the Hungarian mathematician Josef Harn, but uh, it seems like a thing that doesn't really exist on some cryptography forums online, people. When you when you Google rotating clear text, just like a bunch of people being like, "Digital fortress is fucking stupid. This is impossible. It could ever exist." Dan Brown's the dumbest person alive. I'm like, yeah, correct. I'm gonna ask my boyfriend Prime about this actually, okay, because do. because I want to know anything at all about it. Uh, uh, Can you explain uh, what a boyfriend Prime is? For oh, listeners? sorry, that was before this. <laughs> boyfriend Prime is my first ever boyfriend when I was 12. Yeah. And he was 13 because I've always had a thing <laughs> for older men. <laughs> um, but he's, we're still like in acquaintances and in contact over social media, so sometimes we'll comment on each other's lives. Um, and so he told me that, like, if you know anything about cryptography, which I don't, um, it's. Uh, it's awful to read this book, which it already is awful, so I can yeah. only imagine if you knew anything about <laughs> cryptography what this feels like. But I will ask him how this is. Um, so I'm going to read to you, listener, about what Dan Brown s- says a rotating clear text yeah. is, and then you can tell me if you understand it, because I sure as fuck don't. So a clear text is just what comes out after yeah, you decrypt an encryption. Um but this has a, a rotating clear text. Uh, it, it just keeps... Okay, unless the computer guesses the correct key, right? Because that's the, you brute force it. But in this case, it just keeps guessing because it doesn't realize that it found the right key because the clear text is keeps changing. I, it just spins around. It spins around <laughs> and rotates. I think that's what it means. The notion of a rotating clear text function was first put forth in an obscure 1987 paper by a Hungarian mathematician, Joseph Harn. Uh, because brute force computers broke codes by examining clear text for identifiable word p- patterns, Harn proposed an encryption algorithm that, in addition to encrypting, shifted 
encrypted clear text, oh, decrypted clear text over a time variant. In theory, the perpetual mutation would ensure that the attacking computer would never locate attacking, <laughs> would never locate recognizable word patterns, and thus never know when it had found the proper key. The concept was somewhat like the idea of colonizing Mars. Fathom, oh, this, you don't need to know this. So, can you explain to me how what the thing that you've encrypted, how could that could constantly be changing if you've already entered it? Into no, I have the... no idea. Also, apparently, Yosef Harn does not exist. Oh, so this is all made up. This, this is, is all, all... okay. There's no like fact thing in this Dan Brown book <laughs> no. where he's like all encryption monuments are real. Um, so I think Dan Brown does better when he can just make shit up. Um, but I, it's not. It says here like fathomable on an intellectual level, but at present well beyond human ability. It is not fathomable on an intellectual level. No. It makes no fucking sense to my brain. Uh, don't bother. Digital Fortress is hardly an authoritative source on the science of cryptography. That book is full of balderdash and nonsense when it comes to cryptography. <laughs> flim flam! <laughs> and, that, and that particular assertion was complete junk, according to the whatever this Google group I just Googled was. Uh, no flim flam? Okay. Uh, and so this next section here is going to illustrate for us that Susan Fletcher is actually a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she's like, who could possibly write this? And Strathman's like, oh, he's, you know, he's a public sector programmer. Uh, I wouldn't call him a punk, though. He's that's not, not a, what a pub, that's not what the public sector is. No. Um, <laughs> and Susan's like, who, who could this be? And Travis's like, uh, I'm sure you can guess who it is. He's not that fond of the NSA. He's like, well, that narrows it down. And so he worked in the Translator Project. He broke the rules, almost caused an intelligence nightmare. I deported him. Susan's face was blank only an instant before going white. Oh, my God. So like there's a, there's already white. there's this brilliant <laughs> there's, there's this brilliant programmer out there who worked the NSA and he's not the first person she thinks of when it's like oh this this big unbreakable code that uh, you know there's this guy we worked with Ensei Tonkato who we're gonna learn about in the next chapter and he's like left the NSA on a crusade to to you know make Transalter not work and she's like who could possibly run this thing Transalter not work. <laughs> And then he describes, like, everything he did, and she's still, like, takes a second to be like, oh, fuck that guy. It's, um, the extent to which Dan Brown expects us to be on board with the NSA is unreasonable. Uh, I know it's 1998, and, like, Citizen Four hasn't come out yet, but even by Dan Brown's own description <laughs> of what the NSA it's does, just, it's, so bad. it's really fucking awful. So now we get to learn about Ensei Tonkato, who, as you may recall, died in the prologue. Yes. Um, he was not alive during the Second World War, but he carefully said everything about it, particularly its culminating event, the blast in which 100,000 of his countrymen were incinerated by an atomic bomb. It's the worst thing to ever happen on my birthday. A... <laughs> okay. <laughs> A vile... It act. is, though. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Dan Brown actually has the right moral take on the atomic bombs, I think. A vile act of destruction, a senseless display of power by a country that had already won the war. Uh, Tankata had accepted all that, but would never accept that the bomb had robbed him of every, ever knowing his mother. Uh, she had died from radiation poisoning. Uh, and so he grows up with a, with a axe to grind against the U.S., and also he's born uh, deformed, it says. Oh, man. And his father rejects him because of that. Why does Dan Brown hate people with disabilities <laughs> so, so much? So much! 
Every night, the young Tonkata stared down at the twisted fingers holding his Daruma wish doll and swore he'd have revenge. Oh my god. Revenge against the country that had stolen his mother and shamed his father into abandoning him. The, uh, Forrest? What's up? The, the villain in every book so far has had a deformity. Correct. But Dan Brown is incapable of writing a handicapped person who's not just, like, extremely self-loathing. Yeah. But Tenkato's uh, childhood gets changed when uh, he gets to be part of a project to test a new keyboard for children, for handicapped children. And suddenly the computer opens up a whole new world to him, and he winds up being known across Tokyo as Fugusha Kisai, the crippled genius. I didn't look that one up. I, I looked up a lot of the Japanese in this. But... I looked up none of it. Okay. Uh, he eventually read about Pearl Harbor and Japanese war crimes. Uh, I think maybe Dan Brown's uh, assessment of Hiroshima as a vile act of sense of destruction might have just been that's from Tenkato's point of view. Yeah, that's Tenkato's view, but uh, Dan Brown uh, thinks it's justified. Yeah. So, Dan Brown loves nukes. Tenkato becomes yeah. Tenkato becomes a Buddhist and gives up his vow of revenge. Forgiveness is the only path to enlightenment. Uh, by the time he was 20, Tankato was somewhat of an underground cult figure. You don't need to repeat yourself among programmers. <laughs> uh, he works for IBM and then winds up at the NSA, uh, even though he has some doubts about their whole mission thing, and he winds up on the Transalter um, team. Holy shit. Despite his large size, Tankato went to work on an old moped and ate a bag lunch alone at his desk instead of joining the rest of the department for prime rib and vichy soise in the commissary. <laughs> Word, what is this place? <laughs> I love when my cafeteria has prime rib and is vichy it, soise. First of all, is the commissary a cafeteria? Yeah. I think so. Uh, vichy soise. Yeah. Uh, nothing but the best at the NSA. I guess. And so, they just have Soylent now. Yeah, and like Tankata's talked into working on Transalter because he's assured that you'll have to like get a warrant and go through legal authorities in order to put a code into it for it to break. Mm-hmm. But then, uh-oh, right about the time we were about to finish, Strathmore's like, nope, we got around to that. We're just going to fucking get everything in here. And uh, Tankato was outraged. It means the NSA would, in effect, be able to open everyone's mail and reveal, reseal it without their knowing. It was like having a bug in every phone in the world. Jesus. Strathmore attempted to make Tankato see Transalter as a law enforcement device, but it was no use. Tankato was adamant that it constituted a gross violation of human rights. It's a law enforcement <laughs> what an irrational, device what that an is irrational, a gross violation of human rights. What an irrational loon. I mean, law enforcement is a violation of human rights. So. Uh, and he violated the NSA's code of secrecy by trying to contract, contact the EFF about it. And so the NSA had no choice but to stop him. <laughs> Tenkato's capture and deportation. While we... So uh, Strathmore... Uh, How makes, did he stop him? Uh, by deporting him and discrediting him, uh, apparently. Uh, NSA's damage specialist, nervous that Tenkato would try to convince people of Transalter's existence, generated rumors that destroyed his credibility. Who knows what they are... Nobody trusted a cripple accused of spying. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Particularly when he was trying to buy his freedom with absurd allegations about a U.S. code-breaking machine. If there's one thing that I know about, like, the underground computer community, it's that they are very trusting of government things. Right. It's, like, their their primary trait. If you tell them, like, hey, the NSA has this uh, giant supercomputer that can break all the codes... They will never believe it. They'll say that's crazy talk. That's ridiculous. Talk. He's been discredited <laughs> by the people who used to work for him, or who used to uh, employ him, and who deported him. Yeah. Um, 
And so as he's leaving the NSA, he's, he only says one thing. We all have a right to keep secrets, he'd said. Someday I'll see to it we can. We do. We have a right to privacy in the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Susan's mind was racing. NC Tankata wrote a program that creates unbreakable codes. That's what do you're you stuck guys, on? Do you guys get it that um, there's a code and it's unbreakable? Do you understand that there's a code and that it's unbreakable? We're about to get to what it's called right now. Let's go. Let's do it. It's the title of the book. It's Digital Fortress. <laughs> Susan's still hung up on the Bergowski principle, which is that if you throw enough passwords at it, every code is breakable. She felt like an atheist coming face to face with God. Jesus Christ. And uh, and then the, the Angels and Demons was born. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we learn the, the kind of setup here. They can't pay Tankato off because he can't be bought. And he's got a bunch of, a bunch of companies in a bidding war for this thing and like as a marketing gimmick he put it out there on the internet and said hey everyone can download digital fortress but it's encrypted How's with it? digital fortress and yeah. susan's like well why don't you just decrypt it and he's like because he encrypted it with digital fortress which is the unbreakable encryption right thing. obviously he would do that um, and <laughs> okay, so you just decrypt it yeah and so uh, the FBI, CIA, DEA, they'd all be flying blind. The drug cartel ships become untraceable. Major corporations could transfer money with no paper trail and leave the IRS out in the cold. You know that. how corporations <laughs> are notorious for uh, being prosecuted by the government for their shady dealings. Um, Basically, we get a list of reasons why the NSA is actually good yeah. for the next couple pages. Well, I mean, they helped foil dozens of attacks, but the information was highly classified and would never be released. The rationale behind the secrecy was simple. The government could not afford the mass hysteria caused by revealing the truth. No one knew how the public would react to the news that there had been two nuclear close calls by fundamentalist groups on U.S. soil in the last year. And it, they also managed to stop... Uh, a very cool, awesome project of, of creating, <laughs> a, of, of releasing an EMP pulse at the stock exchange to just erase all records of where money is. Yeah, in the destroy world. all pro- our private would, private. That would pro- kick ass. It would fucking rule. <laughs> no more student <laughs> loans. Uh, so yeah, they foiled that, and uh, basically the deal is Tankado has the password to that he's selling off. But the reason the NSA can't just go kill him, which was, of course, the first thing they thought of doing, um, was because he's got an accomplice who is supposed to, if anything happens to Tenkato, release the passkey to everybody. And so then everyone will have Digital Fortress and the NSA won't be able to do shit. Right. Well, he said, like, I won't do it. I won't release Digital Fortress if you give me the translator. Mm-hmm. Translator. Well, if you if you just tell everyone that it exists. Ah, yes, yes. He said, if we admit it, we can read public email. He would destroy Digital Fortress. Well, joke's on you. We found out anyway. Yeah. Stupid NSA. Uh, Watch me get locked out of the SoundCloud yeah. account. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, We're literally like yelling at the NSA into a microphone. This isn't even <laughs> about like turning on our phones as listening yeah. devices. <laughs> You know, we're very smart. <laughs> now we learn about Bigelman's safe. But yeah, because that's, that's, that's the, you know, you put the blueprints for your unbreakable safe into your unbreakable safe so no one can steal it. And that's what he's done with Digital Fortress and companies are in a bidding war and he's got this, this whole thing. It's a double blind system to, you know, make sure that the government can't come after Tankato for the thing. He's going to sell it to the highest bidder He's holding the NSA hostage. 
God, that chapter's long and doesn't accomplish anything. I mean, it sets up the entire plot, I guess, but it does it in a boring way. It's so boring, and it's done with, like, very poorly written dialogue. Uh, and now we're back with David and his Learjet 60, which has touched down into Spain, the barren landscape of Spain's lower Extremadura. Uh, yeah, yes. I think, oh, he pulls a he pulls a big old envelope of cash. He's got $10,000 that says keep the change. Um, and they're like, it's, it's too much. I don't want to make money. <laughs> um, I'll use taxi fare. And then he's like, okay, it's going to be easy. We're going to go in and out. And then it says, yep. there was no way he could have known. And all I just have a frowny face. Yeah. And now we meet the best character in the book so far, Phil Char- Chartrukian, <laughs> um, who's like a, a, he's like one of the IT guys that helps, helps make sure Trantleter runs. Yeah, he's a sysadmin. A sysadmin. Uh, yeah. And, but... He came in... Why did he come in today? Oh, he forgot some paperwork. Mm-hmm. But then, oh, there's always supposed to be a sysec guy there, but there's not today. And so he's like, immediately he says, oh, it's supposed to be this young guy on the squad. And so I'm going to cover for him to make sure he doesn't get in trouble because I am the best person in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a good guy trying to do his job so far. Yeah. It would... Uh, if Strathmore found out the lab was unmanned, it would cost the absent rookie his job. Chartrukian eyed the phone, wondering if he should call the young techie and bail him out. There was an unspoken rule among CISSEC they would watch their backs. In crypto, CISSECs were second-class citizens, constantly at odds with the lords of the manor. Uh, it was no secret that the cryptographers ruled this multi-billion dollar roost. CISSECs were tolerated only because they kept the toys running smoothly. Uh... And then he takes a look at the runtime on the thing. It's like this is too long. This is not good. Something, something's wrong. There it's, must be an impure file in impure it. Impure file. <laughs> <laughs> Purge the corruption. <laughs> um, so he starts like running Norton antivirus shit on it to, to scan everything, and doesn't seem like anything's wrong. This is weird. This is no good. This Norton is no antivirus. good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so they have this something called the gauntlet that they send all yeah. the new files to, and it's like a bunch of that, basically. And then they're like, okay, all good. And then it go, gets to go in the translator. Um He has one of the very, the very few good uses of daddy in, in literature. Come back cleaning. He runs a virus probe. Come back cleaning with suits. Squeaky clean. Tell daddy it's nothing. Oh, and you I, skipped over something. Oh, no. But we can talk I, about that I, for I would, a second. I would never. <laughs> That was good. That was a good use of daddy. Yeah. And the only time I want to hear daddy <laughs> in a Dan Brown novel. Oh, God. <laughs> Robert Lane is daddy. <laughs> Get out of my house! <laughs> I said it in my book so you couldn't see me saying <laughs> They could have been anybody. Uh, it says, Snipping data, it was a lot like having indiscriminate sex. Oh, yeah. Protection or no protection, sooner or later you caught something. Like feelings. <laughs> I had something else to say, but we're going to leave it there. <laughs> um, Chapter 10. Did you take a picture of the... of the? Uh, did you find the men to avoid? Or I, no, no I, for, I mean, I didn't find it, and I also forgot to bring it, so I didn't even look for it. Okay. <laughs> but I will take this halfway point break to congratulate listener Nora, who, A, I was staying at her house this weekend uh, in Los Angeles, and then B... Should we finish chapter 10 before we do this? Whatever, who cares? Um, <laughs> and B, she saw the riddle of the cryptex. She did. Um, and inside of it, we found... Well, what was, the, what was the answer? 
It was Blythe. Wow. Um, how... I, it remains unclear to me how this presumably 15th century scribe that penned the note would be able to write a riddle based on the life of Dan Brown. I'm going to do some further excavations and research to see what I can find out about it. Because mm-hmm. it seems very weird. And also weird was that, is, is that inside the cryptex was a decidedly modern seeming artifact. It was a, it was a wristwatch that had Mickey Mouse on it. And his what? arms are telling the time. It definitely was inside the cryptex because it's definitely the right size to fit inside the cryptex. That's where I found it. Or that's where. <laughs> so, does it glow um, in the dark? At least I don't think it does. I, I haven't looked at it in the dark. Okay. Um, so who, I mean, it probably wouldn't have had any light juice left in it either because it's been sitting in a cryptex for who knows how many hundreds of years. And it, the light juice. This is an earth-shattering discovery that somehow they had clock-making technology in what I believe is the 15th century. So yeah. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have. To to do more research, find out what's going on. I'll keep you guys posted in this the future. Could, this could blow archaeology wide open. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to change the world. This we podcast. really are. Congratulations, Nora, at Dayglo Vista Road. At Dayglo Vista Road on, uh, on Twitter. Well done. I know you tried really hard for a long time. I also read those DMs. <laughs> so many DMs. So, <laughs> um, in my opinion, Forrest is kind of an ass to you sometimes, but I think that's the nature uh, that's, of your that's relationship. That's our dynamic, yeah. yeah. I've been friends with Nora for a long time. <laughs> Okay, chapter okay. 10. Ensei Tankato is dead. You killed him. I thought you said... We didn't touch him. Strathmore assured her. He died of the world's most convenient and or inconvenient timed heart attack of all time. Because <laughs> um, he had a congenital heart defect, presumably from his uh, nuclear birth. Oh, yeah. And his hands. Yeah. Weak heart combined with the heat of Spain. Throw in the stress of blackmailing the NSA. Enough to give anybody a fucking heart attack. <laughs> so what happens? So I just want to go through it so fast. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're what they got to do now is try to find his associate who's supposed to release the code when he finds that Ensei Tenkato's dead yes. because they've covered it up. And his associate is some kind of hacker who goes by the name North Dakota. Mm-hmm. They found an email address for North Dakota, maybe, and she has a lot of questions about if that's real. And it uh, seems like it's got to be a fucking trap, right? But we don't know. <laughs> My favorite thing is like, so Strathmore was like, "Listen, or Susan's like, y- you found this email address for North Dakota. Like, Tankato knows you can read private email messages, and like, of course you're going to look for North Dakota at hotmail dot com. That's, that's clearly <laughs> clearly a fucking fake. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I looked up N Dakota. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you're a fucking genius. Um, um, and he uses a remailer, which is just like a proxy thing. Yeah, it's a proxy thing. Um, so he tried to send a tracer to figure out where it goes, and uh, he couldn't do it because he's an idiot. And yeah, he Su- Su- Susan wrote the tracer that they used to trace emails through these anonymous remailers, which Dan Bambretter hoped doesn't exist because, according to the uh, notes of thanks at the beginning of this book, that he was, was using anonymous remailers to communicate with two NSA cryptographers who taught him all the secrets in this book. Um, He's the original Edward Snowden. <laughs> but instead of whistleblowing, he just wrote a pro NSA book. <laughs> um, yeah. And so. David Dan Brown had so much power. Yeah. But the, the remailing probe is in some hybrid language, I guess, and so only Susan can run it because Strathmore is better with basic or something. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a crossbreed programming language called Limbo. 
The NSA has been asked to look at individual blah blah blah. They're so goddamn long. <laughs> <laughs> was a brilliant cryptic kind of programmer. So basically, what we're gonna do is she's gonna send the tracer, and meanwhile, David is in Spain trying to get the the ring from Tancado. Yes, and Susan finally finds out that it was Strathmore that sent David to Spain to get. Uh, Presumably, Tenkato had the key somewhere on him, so David's going to get it. Yeah. And they're trying to find North Dakota in time to keep the key from ever coming out. Great, we did it. That's over. Fucking. <laughs> and, and After this, the chapters get really short, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. And so, Susan's pretty pissed off that he just sent her fiancé to Spain without telling her. I mean, reasonably so. She was flexed like a mother tiger defending her cub. Flex. Um... Susan, he said. You spoke to him, didn't you? Oh, her David, cub. David. Oh, no, no. Because he's younger than her? David did explain. <laughs> I sent a car from this morning. I thought he'd call you. Um, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the tiger lashed out. You've got 20,000 employees at your command. What gives you the right to send my fiancé? Blah, blah, blah. And David Becker's the only civilian you know? Because he wants to send an incognito civilian as opposed to like, an intelligence agent to pick up the shit. But David, like, knows real good Spanish because he's a linguist and shit. And, so many people know real good Spanish. Um, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then the plot uh, wouldn't work as well. Yeah. And it really feels like he's trying to get rid of Becker to, so he can be with uh, Susan, Susan. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I'm having a really good time reading this book for the first time. <laughs> yeah, so... Maybe that's why he didn't return the phone. Maybe, 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 maybe the phone that legit wasn't supposed to work. Oh my god! Maybe, maybe Strathmore's planting some seeds of doubt. Oh my god! <laughs> but David's all sound how his own shit. He took the promotion to department chair, which more fewer teaching hours, but there'd be uh, more salary. Susan wanted to cry out, "David, don't do it. You'll be miserable. We have plenty of money. Who cares which of us earns it?" But it was not her place to talk about, you know, her fiance's life with her fiance and her concerns that. This job thing he was taking would make him unhappy. Like she didn't want to talk to him about it. Like yeah, she didn't want to talk about like the financial stability of their of their like, partnership. <laughs> again, not a relationship expert, not a communication expert. Pretty sure that part of the relationship when you're getting married to someone is like you don't tell them you can't take this job, but you should probably say like I think this will make you really unhappy to do this. And like if the only reason you're doing it is because you're uncomfortable with me being the one who earns the money, even though I'm a woman, like. Who cares? Right. We need to work through that specific yeah, thing because that's like, not sustainable. Like it's the the <laughs> being miserable at work to satisfy this weird thing you have about <laughs> the money thing. Like that's really a bad trade off. Right. Oh Jesus. Um, you paid him ten thousand dollars. She demanded. That's a dirty trick. That's not. That rules. Pay people money. Yeah. Everyone has. You have more money now. Uh, yeah. What else? What else happens in here? Uh, Strathmore hasn't told his boss about this code. He's keeping it quiet because he doesn't want uh, everyone stressing out about this thing. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I, this is, I think this is where... I think he used the semicolon, and then I was like, oh, he was an <laughs> English teacher recently. Because <laughs> he used it right, but I can't find it now. Um, I just... 
I just can't believe we're supposed to root for the deputy director of the NSA. Like, Dan Brown loves cops yeah. so much, and it's just... It's... Susan thought about everything the commander was going through. The pressure of overseeing Translater, the endless hours and meetings. It was rumored his wife of 30 years was leaving him. Then on top of it, there was Digital Fortress, the biggest intelligence threat in the history of the NSA, and the poor guy was flying solo. No wonder he looked about to crack. Um, and he says, you are on my team, aren't you? Yeah. Which is... Not good workplace conduct. Yeah. I am the deputy director of operations. A weary smile crept across his face. And besides, I'm not alone. I've got Susan Fletcher on my team. Gross. In that instant, Susan realized what she respected so much about Trevor Strathmore. For ten years, through thick and thin, he had always led the way for her. Steadfast, unwavering. It was his dedication that amazed her. His unshakable allegiance to his principles, his country, and his ideals, which are garbage. He has garbage ideals. This is all very, hmm. You Um, know? Like... Hmm. Come what may, Commander Trevor Strathmore was a guiding light in a world of impossible decisions. Yeah, if you have no moral consideration, it's very easy <laughs> to make impossible decisions. Yeah. And so now David Becker gets to go see a dead body. Uh, it's been stripped naked and dumped unceremoniously on an aluminium aluminum table. I'm British now. Their eyes had not yet found the vape Who cares? Uh, so now we get the, the very beginnings of uh, Dan Brown's awful translations, <laughs> where it says... Donde están sus efectos? Where are his belongings? Es todo? Is that all? <laughs> but both of those are in the quotes, which means that he said both of them. <laughs> oh, that's good. He's saying to the Spanish person, Es todo? Is that all? And the guy's like, why are you sí. saying nonsense words at the end of the Spanish <laughs> words that I know? <laughs> um, yeah, so Becker gets Tinkata's clothes and a little duffel... That the police took from his hotel. His instructions were to touch nothing except, presumably, to like pick it up, mm-hmm. read nothing, just bring it all back, everything, don't miss anything. And yeah. he makes a mistake here. First, first of all, the officer's like, oh, the officer is also speaking in two languages. The, op- <laughs> yeah. the officer poked the cadaver's leg. Kianes, who is he? <laughs> no, and then they switched just to English. No idea. Looks Chinese. Japanese, Becker thought. Becker, <laughs> Becker, Becker is the uh, phenotype expert. <laughs> uh, and but here's 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 where Becker fucks up. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's I guess God, they talked for forever about like seeing about the sights of to do in, <laughs> seeing in, the sights of Seville. Oh, uh, they tell him to go see the relic of uh, Christopher Columbus. Christopher's like, Columbus ball sack. Yeah. I got it in the cathedral. I mean, Christopher Columbus is a scrotum. And so... Solo like, a scrotum. <laughs> so... <laughs> so that is the whole body, basically, right yeah. there. <laughs> um, uh, I was going to say... Okay, so, so do you know why this book has a major subplot set in Seville? No, it's I cause, don't. It's because that's where Dan Brown studied abroad in college. <laughs> Let me die. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I'm 100 serious. Um. What the fuck? The note "Let me die" shows up a lot. Um, no, it's it's not good. Um, I also wanted to note that I hope I'm never like famous and Catholic enough for them to cut up my body and ship me to different yeah. countries. It's very bad. Uh, so anyways, right as they're about to leave and Becker's going to go home, he makes his mistake of being observant 
and he notices that they're missing something. We don't mm-hmm. know how he knows it yet, but we're going to find out later. At this point, I figured it out what it is that he saw. Oh. Because I'm, I'm, yeah. I watch a lot of murder mysteries. Okay. <laughs> um, and now we... my favorite thing. Now we meet my favorite character. You have to read every line he says as if he's in an anime. Uh, to- I... Tokugan Numataka stood in his plush penthouse office and gazed at Tokyo's skyline. Um, His employees and competitors knew him knew him as Akutasame, the deadly shark. Yeah. Would it surprise you to know that it translates to garbage shark? <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it does. It's so good. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> this is the best thing that that's ever happened to me. Oh man. Uh, so. Read me this. <laughs> you know how... You know what it feels like when you get an adrenaline surge? Would you describe it as, a, cold. as a cool rush? Is that the association you have with adrenaline? Is just cool. Uh, it's uh, very scary. Uh, what? Why does he have the... Oh, it's because of the He's about deal. to close the biggest deal of his life. Sorry. The garbage shark. <laughs> biggest deals. It's, it's going to make Numatech Corp. Numa? Numatech. The, the... <laughs> me too, me too. Me too. I did the same thing. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's going to make it the Microsoft of the future. Um, um, he was blessed with Miuri, good fortune. What is That's it? real. Okay. Yeah. Um, the gods had chosen him. The gods are uh, written, it's like written wrong, but I didn't write it down. It's, I found a comrade on the internet who has <laughs> some things to say about, you know what, since we didn't have like a yeah. long, like, um, actually let's finish this chapter and then I'll do it. Um, but since we didn't do like a 100, however many men to avoid, 87, um, I'll, I'll read this thing that this person wrote on the internet. I love these people <laughs> who've read down Dan Brown books it's, and have problems. Oh, we're not there yet. So, basically, someone's like, I'm going to sell you the Digital Fortress passkey. And he's like, that's fucking hilarious. And and does, but then he says he's North Dakota. And now, Numataka is interested. Yeah. Um, even in Japan, business practices have become dishonorable. And say, so, yeah. Um, and then, this is where the anime shit starts. So you're selling your passkey? Interesting. How does Ensei Tankado feel about this? <laughs> I have no allegiance to Mr. Tankado. Mr. Tankado was foolish to trust me. The passkey is worth hundreds of times what he is paying me to handle it for him. I'm sorry, Numataka said. Your passkey alone is worth nothing to me. When Tankado <laughs> finds out what you've done, he will simply publish his copy, and the market will be flooded. And you will receive both passkeys, the voice said, Mr. Tankado's and mine. Numataka covered the receiver and laughed aloud. Ha 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 ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, how much are you asking for both keys? Twenty million U.S. dollars. 20 million was almost exactly what Numataka had bid. 20 million! That's outrageous! Um, yeah, and so that's that's our, an, a new intrigue in this book is Numataka trying to buy this thing from North Dakota who's going to have both passkeys somehow. Yeah, oh, he says, um, Mr. Tankado will never stand for this. And he and the North Dakota says, what if Mr. Tankado were no longer a yeah. factor? Hmm. And then uh, he's like, I'll be in touch. Okay, yeah. let me read to you this, what this guy said. This person, unlike me, enjoys Dan Brown books <laughs> and says, I've read the Dan, Dan Brown's books, The Da Vinci Code. Oh, this is written by, sorry, who wrote this? Mon, Mondo Info? Mondo Info. Yeah. Um, 
There's a lot of information here about, like, the ISBN number or whatever. I've read Dan Brown's books, The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and Deception Point, and liked them very much. So I expected that Digital Fortress would be another fun and interesting thriller. The thriller-ish aspects all work fine. The plot is inventive and has plenty of twists. And an appropriate number of people go sneaking around in the dark. I like that. (laughs) As long as there's people sneaking around (laughs) in the dark, we're good. Uh, But unfortunately for Geeky Me, the book's premise has to do with computers, and it's not at all plausible. Not at all like the premises of the Da Vinci Code. (laughs) And and deception. Man, deception point is some wild shit. (laughs) (laughs) Is is it unputdownable, like that review said? I mean, it was the first time I read it, I think. Okay. This is actually... Kind of unput down. Like I want to go I back mean, like, and read I, it some I, I, more. I, 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 I'm, You're reading ahead. I'm looking for. I haven't yet, but I'm looking forward to. The premise has to do with a secret computer at the National Security a- Agency. It has three million processors and can break every cipher code if you want. Uh, in existence, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, <laughs> in existence by the simple expedient of exhaustively trying every key. I'm no cryptographer, and I don't know what's inside the NSA, but any good sysadmin ought to know the basics. And in regard to the technical matters in the book, there's almost nothing that's remotely likely. I mean, uh, I, think that, I think the big brute force computer is likely. I, I think, don't know. I, I think they like declassified something kind of like that. I don't know. I'm just, this is what Mondo yeah, says. Yeah, sorry. Um... But if you're not likely to be bothered by a computer doing things it couldn't do, critical data stored without backup, people using cell phones inside the secret facility, nonsensical claims about viruses and ciphers, the term passkey where key is meant, and the use of the word databank, <laughs> you might well enjoy Digital Fortress. Oh, and you'd also have to overlook the airy dismissal of the civil liberties implications of no one being able to keep a secret from the government. As for the plot of the book... Uh, it seems the world is a more dangerous place than most people know, but the bad guys are kept in check by the NSA's ability to read their encrypted communications. Now, it turns out that a brilliant Japanese programmer, Ensei Tankado, who has a grudge against the NSA, has created a cipher that's, wait for it, unbreakable. There was a comma splice in there. <laughs> he plans to sell it to the highest bidder, but he dies in Spain, apparently from a heart attack, before he can do that. So what's the problem, then? It seems that it wasn't the actual software he was going to auction he had already posted the software publicly to the internet but he had encrypted it using its own cipher and what the and what he intended to auction is the key to decrypt it so that it can be used this guy's doing our job but more compact i know he's he's very he's very good i'm gonna skip ahead because we just get into the okay here we go i'm not against improbable elements in in thriller novels it's just that in this case i couldn't manage to keep my disbelief suspended Alas, I was chuckling through the climactic scene, uh, which seemed to to me to bear resemblance to a scene in an old Star Trek episode. Uh, I don't know. I haven't gotten to that scene. Um, In addition to the pretty numerous inaccuracies regarding computers, there are a few other things that I had problems with. Kanji isn't a language. Kanji's not a language. It's a character set. Uh, Moto Guzi is written with a space between the words. Menboko isn't Japanese for honor. Man, who would have guessed that this computer nerd's also uh, I know. <laughs> very into Japanese culture? <laughs> I think Mr. Brown wants memboku. Uh, Shishiko-san is a holiday, not a collection of gods. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Brown means Shishifukujin. There's a lot of other things that we haven't gotten to here. But basically, like, email is written wrong. And jettison doesn't mean to eject something. And... 
Does he complain about how's he, what's he complaining about email being written? Do they not capitalize the E or something? No, it should be E dash mail. Who cares? Yeah, but he I'm on Dan's brow this one. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the all the Japanese shit is wrong, and we'll yeah. come back to this because there's a lot of other inaccuracies, and I mark them off in my book as we go along. Got a really good cadaver description here in chapter fourteen. Let's go for it. Even hours after death, the Asian's face radiated with the pinkish glow of a recent sun. The Asian's. The rest of him was a pale yellow, all except the small area of purple. Oh my god! Directly over his heart. Oh my god! He called him yellow. <laughs> He called him yellow. He sure did. Oh my <laughs> god! Oh my god! What do you mean the Asian, the uh, the man, the um, <laughs> the cryptographer, the programmers, the face. Japanese face? The ch- <laughs> I have this book that I stole from our high school theater department called Foreign Accents. It's written in like 1936. Oh, is that the thing that has the musical notes in mm-hmm. it? I remember that from and high school. And the yeah. beginning of every chapter just has an explanation of the national character or whatever accent they're trying to tell oh, you. Oh, no, 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 and no. Like, and, it, and it does the thing where like, you know, you say, oh, uh, you know, a Spanish will do this. <laughs> and I, I've, I've never seen that convention used with anyone other than for some reason people still use it to write about Asian people. Yeah. So they're like, oh, the Japanese to talk about one person did this you're like that's a strange way to talk right i don't like this at all um i was i just had orientation for law school and someone referred to themselves as a jap mm-hmm. meaning jewish american princess, princess which yeah. i had never heard before oh, and i was like uh, right. excuse me <laughs> uh, what now and she was like you know and i was like i don't <laughs> yeah that's 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 one of the uh Less good acronyms. We got to do better than um, that. I mean, it does. This, it, like the 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 type of person it describes is like it's a useful nomenclature to have. Yeah. But like, there's got to be a better <laughs> way to use it. Oh yeah. Um, well, I'll be a lieutenant grunted from across the room. He's Japanese, not Chinese. <laughs> he's the other, he's, they're in southern Spain. That's why. Why he is like this that. going on for so long? I don't know. But I think it might be important to note that there is an area of purplish bruising directly over his heart, and Becker's like, probably from the CPR. Too bad it didn't work. CPR? Um, yeah. What's his CPR? CPR. CPR. I heard CVR, um, sorry. Uh, bu- 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 bu. So basically what Becker's noticed is that he's got a little tan line across his finger where there should be a ring, but there's no ring in his personal effects. And then the cop is like, my God, the story was true? Uh... I have a question about the bruise. I'm sorry. There's a yeah. bruise over his heart, right? Uh-huh. From the CPR, but yeah. bruises take a while to develop, right? He's been dead for a little while. Okay. But the blood circulation stopped. I don't know. Okay. I don't know how bruises work. Okay. Uh, I would have mentioned it before, but I thought the guy was nuts. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't picture this guy's head just because he's so invested in whether the corpse is Chinese or Japanese. I know. <laughs> so he asked voice, a guy who phoned in the emergency. Some Canadian tourists kept talking about a ring, babbling in the worst damn Spanish I ever heard. Um, he said Mr. Tankata was wearing a ring. Uh, and like, what? The worst cop in the world. It's like, yeah, you know, the 911 call said this guy kept on talking about a ring, but I just figured he was lying because, you know. <laughs> he's sounded crazy. I bet Spanish, so... But I do like the officer. He eyes the he pulls out a Ducato cigarette, eyes the no fumar sign, and up anyways. What a fucking baller! <laughs> Guess I should have said something, but the guy sounded totally loco. Which are they speaking in Spanish or English? <laughs> <laughs> I 
This is Spain. Speak English. Um, okay, 15. Uh, yes. Susan Fletcher sat in her computer terminal inside Node 3. Node 3 is like a Silicon Valley-style, awful open space office where all the cryptographers work that has... Um, Plush carpets, a high-tech sound system, a fully stocked fridge, a kitchenette, a Nerf basketball hoop. The NSA philosophy about crypto. Don't drop a couple billion bucks into a code-breaking computer without enticing the best of the best to stick around and use it. That is a long mission statement. (laughs) And if I know one thing about cryptographers, they fucking love Nerf basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Susan is slipping out of her Salvatore Ferragamo. Flats this and, is the foot fetish paragraph. Yeah, and dug her stocking toes into the thick pile carpet. Just like a diehard. Yeah. Um, why is she wearing stockings? Uh, she's, a she's, a, she's a sexy, long-legged lady in Dan Brown's foot fetish imagination. Of course she is wearing stockings as she pulls her feet out of her high heels, Lena. They're, they're flats. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, so she she has now, now you're ruining my imagery. <laughs> so so they tell her they tell her to like keep it keep the lavishness to a minimum, but she yeah. loves shoes, which no, I understand. And uh, she budgeted for the best. And her aunt or you can't <laughs> jump for the stars if your feet hurt. Her aunt had once told her. And when and when you get where you're going, you darn well better look great. And this reminds me of Chinita Macri's mom. Oh yeah, who totally like, garbage wisdom. wisdom. <laughs> like I don't think he's ever met like a human being. <laughs> We're just gonna leave it there. Um, so she starts to run this tracer and uh, looks back at the at the fuck ups that Strathmore did, and he put things into the wrong data field, so he ran the thing backwards and just got Ense Tankato's email. That seems suspicious. Uh, it sure does. <laughs> So she hits enter, uh, return, computer beep once, tracer, sent. Not kind of waiting game. She felt guilty for being so hard on the commander, blah, 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 blah. If anyone deserved to fucking be an asshole, it's, it's dad. I'm just going to read a lot of this chapter because it's very upsetting. <laughs> it's so bad. Every move Strathmore made was meticulously planned. He depended heavily on his computer when devising and revising plans. Like many NSA employees, Strathmore used NSA-developed software called Brainstorm, a risk-free way to carry out what-if scenarios in the safety of a computer. What are you doing? I don't understand <laughs> what's about to happen. This part Lena's reading is just covered by a big question mark in my book. Yeah. <laughs> Brainstorm was an artificial intelligence experiment described by its developers as a cause-and-effect simulator. Uh, it originally had been intended for use in political campaigns as a way to create real-time models of given political of a given political environment. That's in quotes. Political environment. Right. Fed by enormous amounts of data, the program created a relationary web, a hypothesized model of interaction between political variables, including current prominent figures, their staffs, their personal ties to each other, hot issues, individuals' motivations weighted by variables like sex, ethnicity, money, and power. Uh, uh, it's a comma splice. <laughs> The user could then enter any hypothetical event and Brainstorm would predict the event's effect on the envi- quote, environment, unquote. Commander Strathmore worked religiously with Brainstorm, not for political purpose, but as a TFM device, timeline flowchart and mapping software, was a powerful tool for outlining complex strategies and predicting weaknesses. Susan suspected there were schemes hidden in Strathmore's computer that would someday change the world. 
Yes, Susan thought. I was too hard on him. (laughs) Okay, so what I want to talk about is... Strathmore is creepy as all get out. I don't... What? How does this software work? It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So, I think I get it. Is it just The Sims? It's Sims. (laughs) It's like, here's like the the demographic makeup of this place. I, I, I get it, but like... You know, how yeah, you... you say like you say like let's say uh, it comes out that my political candidate uh, had a sex scandal with a porn star, for example. How is that going to affect this area? That would never happen. <laughs> he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. He would never he do, it. do it. He's too loyal to his wife, whom he loves. So I don't understand if Dan Brown is bad at foreshadowing that Strathmore is a creepy motherfucker, or that. Uh, he thinks all of this is okay for a man to do, and it's endearing <laughs> in some way. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's like the thing, the thing, the thing about this, 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 this program. Hmm. So right before that, we learned that uh, six months ago, the EFF broke a story that an NSA submarine was snooping underwater telephone cables. Strathmore calmly leaked a conflicting story that the submarine was actually illegally bearing toxic waste. The EFF and the Oceanic Environmentalists spent so much time bickering over which version was true, the media eventually tired of the story and moved on. So presumably he used his, his cause and effect simulator to... Cover up a... To, to like figure out how he should, you know, kill that story. And so I can understand sort of, like, this intense... Because, like, if you're using it for political campaigns, it seems like it's just a very complex polling model, basically. Yeah. But it seems weirder to say, like, well... We'll see if we can... I programmed into my computer that the EFF doesn't like it when our submarines are doing cables, but uh, what if I tell the computer, hey, I'm going to release a story that says it's actually dumping toxic waste, It's gonna, and that the computer knows it's going to clear my shit. That seems unlikely to me. I don't know. That's the only unlikely thing in this book. She says that she felt guilty for having been hard on the commander when all she did was, like, ask him questions about what was going on, really. Yeah, and yell at him for, like... Making her husband go to Spain. <laughs> Which is, he you. shouldn't have done. And fiance, no one. <sighs> Nothing, there's no, there's no contract, so she's still <laughs> fair game. <laughs> uh, a ring? Susan looked doubtful. Uh, so Strathmore comes in, and he, David has reported to him that there's a ring that's missing. Yeah, it's a real heads-up play. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a sports analogy. And, yeah, so old Canadian guy got the ring somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave it to him. And it looks like the ring had the cipher or the password for the encryption engraved in it. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that seems fine. Yep. And so now, <laughs> now, now they got to find this Canadian guy who should be in a hospital somewhere because... Uh, he got on the back of a cop's motorcycle? Yeah. Mo- the cop tried to put him on a motorcycle to take him to somewhere. A hotel. A hotel, the, and then he... To the Canadian hotel, not the cop's hotel. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the cop has a home in Seville. <laughs> but the Canadian didn't know enough to hang on. He fell off before they got him three feet, cracked his head, and broke his wrist. Jesus. So the officer... He wanted to take him to the hospital, but the Canadian was furious. Said he'd walk back to Canada before he'd get on the motorcycle again. Do you understand that he's Canadian? He's so Canadian. Um, he wouldn't be mad. He'd just apologize. <laughs> Sorry for falling off your motorcycle, officer. <laughs> um, and so they took him to a small public clinic near the park to yeah. get checked out for his broken wrist. And so David's going there uh, on the scorched tile concourse of Plaza de España. 
before him, El Ayuntamiento, <laughs> the ancient city. Well, uh, it's it's Spain, it's Seville. Go there. Oh, hold on. They filmed Lawrence of Arabia there. <laughs> it says okay. Before him, El Ayuntamiento, the ancient city council building, rose from the trees uh, on a three-acre bed of blue and white azulejo tiles. It's Arabic spires. <laughs> okay. Dan? Dan? I know it's your first book, and we're going to go over this a lot over the course of this podcast, but Arabic is a language. And an ethnicity. No, an Arab. No, yeah. Arab is an ethnicity. Yeah. Arabian... I caught it before you told me. <laughs> or arabesque, if we're talking about art forms, would be the appropriate word to use here. Listener, again, Arabic is a language. If you don't use it properly, I will make you feel like an idiot. Arabian <laughs> <laughs> uh, So yeah, Arabian is the adjective. That's the easier era. It's not Arabic nights. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Arabic nights. <laughs> Okay. What kind of watch does Becker have? No, uh, Seiko. There it is. Um, <laughs> brand names, brand names. Uh, the li- it's 9, 10 p.m., still afternoon by local Spaniards. A proper Spaniard never ate dinner before the sunset. Spanish. And the lazy Andalusian sun, mirroring the lazy characteristics of the people it shines upon, <laughs> seldom surrendered the skies before 10. I think, is it Andalusian? No? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, I think Dan Brown is actually pretty good at talking about the sky. Because a few times we've gotten like a sunset uh, description and I've liked it. Like I'm okay. like, oh, yeah. The, I, I know what it's like to have the sun feel lazy. The, the, only, the, only, the only sun description I will accept is rosy fingered dawn. Uh. <laughs> it's not from fucking Homer. It's not fucking worth it. <laughs> uh, okay. He's got to find the Canadian. He's got to get the ring. Find the Canadian. Get the ring. Find, yeah. Find the Canadian. Get the ring. Find the Canadian, get the ring. So he goes in, and Strathmore's like, "You have to buy the ring, then use the ten thousand dollars that I gave you to yeah. buy the ring." Uh, we all, this is we get an important Dan Brown history marker here, which is his first exploration is symbology. On the oh, other side, yeah. Isabella Catolica. The clinic was clearly visible. Visible, the universal symbol of a red cross in a white circle painted on the roof. Wait. Think about it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. Sir. <laughs> anyway, so he goes in and he wants, he's like, I want Strathmore to tell her that I'm okay, but I don't want to bother him with my romantic problems. Yeah. And like, whatever. Who cares? He's anyway. Leaving, he's leaving messages on Susan's voicemail being like, I love you. I'm like a little idiot. What what a what a pathetic <laughs> showing all his cards, um, but anyway he goes into he still hasn't even <laughs> just entered he's, the he's building. Made phone calls, but he's not noticing the man in wire rim grass. Gla- Jesus fucking Christ, wire rim glasses watching him from across the street. I'll tell you what, I didn't notice that sentence. I was so Ooh. out of this paragraph i think he might be an important person i think so i was so done with this chapter by the time we got to the second page of it that i just skipped over the the foreshadowing so and then we go back to numataka numataka Numataka. it's not not a hard name i'm sorry numataka numataka uh okay (laughs) Um, it's not that (laughs) um, and uh it turns out numataka had almost well, not almost, but he'd gotten Ensei Tankado's resume 
but then because he's a real shithead. Uh, he lives by Menboko or Menboku. <laughs> honor and face. Yeah. Imperfection was not to be tolerated. If he hired a sea slur, he would bring shame. On his company. On his company. He had disposed of Tenkato's resume without a glance. Does resume really have both accents on the E? Resume? Not right, is it? No, it doesn't. Just like the velocity, right? Resume! <laughs> Resume! Uh, Love it. Dan, Dan Brown's hypercorrecting. Uh, uh, here's the, the holiday, the Shishifukushin. This chapter does not have a point. It's just. Him he, say, it's, it's, he it's, knows it's, him. He's, say, he's saying the exact same shit as it said in the last one. He He's waiting for North Dakota to call. Basically, about the about the thing yeah. themselves. We also talked about the Shishi Fukujin and yeah. Menboku in the last one, so it's not necessary. <laughs> okay, chapter nineteen. What if someone's looking? What if someone else is looking for the ring? Susan asked, suddenly nervous. Could David be in danger? Um, hmm. Danger. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I sent David. I wanted to keep it that way. No one else knows it exists. Curious spooks don't usually tell Spanish teachers. Well, a curious spook with wired rim glasses sure hmm. is. Hmm. He's a professor. Susan corrected, immediately regretting the clarification. Every now and again, Susan got the feeling David wasn't good enough for the command. Why does she regret the clarification? And he thought somehow she could do better than a school teacher. Hmm. If this whole plot ends up being something so that he can get in Susan's pants, I'm going to throw this out the window. (laughs) 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 If this whole fucking garbage is about separating Susan from her fiancé, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. Consider this. (laughs) She's really hot. (laughs) Uh, Uh, There is something here where it says like she's... Uh, a ner- oh wait, we're not there yet, right? No, okay, we're not there. So Chartrukian at this point comes onto the scene, and he's going to report that Transulter has been running this thing really long. And uh, turns out that um, Strathmore told the guy, who, the cis sec person, yeah. to not come. Cause... Yeah, because at first Chartrukian's like, oh, you know, I switched shifts with the guy. That's why I'm here, and he's not. And then uh, Strathmore's like. That's odd, because I called him and told him not to bother to come in today. And so Chartrukian's got caught in this lie, but he's still a fucking hero. Yeah, he really is. He's um, having a hard time kind of talking, because uh, Susan's very hot. Yeah. Says that she's unsettlingly beautiful. And I just wanted to say, it feels good to finally see some representation for actually hot women in a Dan Brown <laughs> book. Um, because for so long it's just been like, oh, she's pretty, but not too, not too pretty. pretty. But like, Susan is gorgeous, and I finally see myself in one of these characters, yeah. you know? Um, anyway, <laughs> so he's trying to explain, like, uh, I think there's a virus, uh, yeah. in here, because it's, it's flipping out, and, um, Strathmore Strathmore's says, like, no, there isn't, there is no virus, and everything's fine, and we're just running some kind of, uh, test, diagnostic test. Miss Fletcher and I are running a new diagnostic, some very advanced stuff, too, too, too big for, for Armenians to understand. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, um. I think that's Armenian. Though. Yeah, it's Armenian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, Bring a lot of race science to the podcast today, guys. I do not know why. Arme- Armenian is not a race. It's an ethnicity. I don't know the difference. <laughs> I feel like I kind of don't. It's okay. <laughs> it's all made up. It's all made up. It's, <laughs> it's okay. By which I mean the state of Armenia. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
who da- how dare you call yourself the oldest active Christian country? <laughs> I think that's their thing. Uh, uh. So, Shartrakian leaves and is like, uh, it's not a diagnostic. That's a fucking uh, virus. It's obviously a virus. They don't understand security. Um, and diagnostic he, my ass. And he's so mad. And he's really talking to himself out loud. God while, damn cryptographers. They just don't understand security. No, that's not out loud yet. No, he says, so. diagnostic my ass. What kind of looping function keeps 3 million processors busy for 16 hours? And then later he says, your baby's in trouble, Commander. You don't trust instinct? I'll get you proof. And he's really talking to himself out loud <laughs> when we have third-person omniscience. It's so cool. <laughs> I, I like him a lot. <laughs> Me too. And now we're back at the hospital and David... Does a bunch of like Becker, small... please. <laughs> okay, yeah, Becker. <laughs> Becker does a bunch of small time tricks to try to bypass the line at the hospital by calling from the phone because everyone picks up the phone. Because... He also, yeah, he uses some like entry level Spanish by saying "donde está el teléfono," <laughs> and this is why they needed a Spanish expert to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like Dan Brown. I guess he went to Seville. But it sounds like he thinks Spain is a developing country. Yeah. Which is not... It's weird. It is um, weird. It's basically like a World War II field hospital in yeah. there. But basically, even after... He's trying to, like... He gets shot down by the secretary who's trying to find this Canadian guy. But then, oops, he just turns around. He's, he's there. How yeah. Convenient. He walks into, like, a basketball court, and there he is, just chilling. Um, so, that's the end of that. It's the end of our section. It's the so. end of our section. It ended. Um, you know, what would you grade this section on in terms of its Dan Browniness? You know, it's pretty Dan Brown. It's pretty Dan Brown. It starts with like a, my- a mystery genius dying tragically, and we get into a- someone getting w- woken up in the middle of the night by a phone call. This time from in her fiance. Early morning. It's still dark out, okay. she said. It could be morning. Um, but then gets called again for, for yeah. her call to action her literal call to action and um it's it's the same she goes into work she's a, a plot is described to her yeah. and we're off to the races like off it's the races. and we get some like creepy foreshadowing about like the perhaps like ulterior motives of some of the characters excuse me off to the ethnicities <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I was, that's what I was doing the whole time, guys. It's for the bit. It's not because I'm an idiot. It's for the bit. Um, yeah, I'm giving it. I'm giving it. A, I'm giving it a B plus in terms of Dan Brown shit. Yeah, likewise. Um, enjoyability. Enjoyability. Oh, I wanted to also add that we do uh, have a, a Dan Brown um, surrogate in the book. Yes. So that's good. You're gorgeous, David Becker. Guys, so he's so fucking hot. Bend it like Becker. <laughs> Uh, enjoyability? Yeah. Um, those two expo chapters are really hard to get through. Um, I'm gonna give it maybe a C plus, maybe B minus. Um, I'm having a hard, I, I, I want to go back and read it, which is a weird feeling. Um, but what we went through was difficult. I think it's gonna pick up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my feeling as well. Like, enjoyability for me is C minus, but by the end of it, I was like, oh, I, like, I actually want to read more of this book, which I haven't felt with any, two. With any of the other ones so far. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Each so, t- I mean, I was dreading starting this book, but yeah. like now I'm kind of into it. Um, let's see. D 
Do you have a um, an angel? A cis admin for this section. It's the cis admin. <laughs> is char- Chartrukian? Char- yeah. Charcuterie? Phil Charcuterie. Phil Charcuterie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mine is mine is the Hick Cop. <laughs> I like him a lot. He doesn't even get a name. He doesn't. He's, he he's just, a fucking weirdo. He is a fucking weirdo. And do you have a, a virus for this section? We don't even know if there's a virus. Um, Who, who's the malware? Let me think about it. Um, I think it would be the guy who made the the uh, porn fake because that's just an awful thing to do. That's pretty shitty. And like, I have my own objections to Strathmore being like a NSA demon, um, but I think I'll have a chance later to talk about it as my malware. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but today I really want to focus on like the revenge porn thing yeah. and how like awful and disgusting and, and upsetting that is. And I'm glad he got fired and I hope he never gets hired anywhere else again. That character's name is Carl Austin and I feel certain that that was like a guy who bullied Dan Brown in high school. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, my malware for this section is David Becker because his dumb hang-up about Susan making more money than him Yeah, fuck sucks. that. It's yeah. Like, it's so stupid. If your girlfriend wants to pay for dinner, let her pay for dinner. And then say, you make a ton of money, pay for all for every dinner. I feel like uh, Blythe read it and went like, uh, Dan? This is not... No, no way. Babe, no I way, know... No. Babe, I, I know that I'm like a... Whatever her job was, and you're just a failed musician, but like... <laughs> you can't be putting this in your books. This is really embarrassing. <laughs> you got a teacher job based on nepotism, probably. <laughs> um... I, I want to rate it a 10 out of 10 on semicolons. There were a couple good semicolons yeah, in there. Yeah, there were. I want to talk to one of Dan Brown's English students so bad. Where can we find... Well, where did you talk about Exeter? Yeah. So we have to just find the Exeter class of whatever and then yeah, reach out to a ton of people. Yeah. We got to find Wynn Butler. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he would have been in Dan Brown's class if he was close to that year. Oh, um, I want to add another malware. And I like to add Dan Brown, um, <laughs> as usual, but specifically this time because I know that he was tempted by one of his high school students. Because it keeps coming up about the co-ed, like eyeing him with like uh, incredible adoration and teenage horniness. And it's disgusting and disgusting. And I don't like to think about it. And I oh think it shouldn't, it doesn't belong in the book. I oh think it doesn't do anything but speak to how gorgeous these guys are. And like, have I had gorgeous professors? Obviously. But like... like the only, the only, the only good pop culture student horny for teacher thing... Is Indiana Jones. Is Van Halen and Indiana Jones. <laughs> and the Van Halen, honestly, not that great. Not I mean, that great. Van Halen in general, yes, that song, who cares. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, fuck you, Dan Brown. Fuck you, oh. Dan Brown. Yeah, Mary Shelley who? <laughs> Dan Brown is your queen. <laughs> uh, it sucks a lot. It's really fun. I hate Dan Brown. Me too. Um, it makes me sad that he... I hope I do get to talk to him and be like, why are you the way that you are? And I doubt that he ever will allow me to have that conversation. The, the, the events where he speaks are expensive. It was like they really are. Bucks to go to that one. I was like, not about to do it, but I wanted to. I'm going to find a way to get into one for free. <laughs> oh, Dan Brown, fight me! <laughs> Who will fight me? <laughs> there is this... I'm going to make a sign. Fight was, me, Dan Brown. <laughs> uh, there was a show that was on... It was supposed to go on, but it would be a season, but the... Christians got too mad at it. It was like a TV show that was going to be about King David. Uh-huh. 
and they got mad that it accurately portrayed the stories in the bio about David. And uh, in the very first episode, which is the one that aired before they got, I think it was called Gods and Prophets or something. Mm. And the first one, Goliath comes out and he just screams, Who will fight me? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking rules. <laughs> Uh, anyways, follow us on social media. Please do. Uh, you can find us at Dan Brown Code Pod. Uh, it's on Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Lena Jamili. That's at sign L I N A J E M I L I. You can follow me on Twitter at Wishbone Ulysses, but I'm not tweeting anymore. I'm off the bird, so I'm on to Mastodon. I'm at Wishbone Ulysses at Mastodon.social. What is Mastodon? It's like Twitter, but a million times fucking better. Brett, Dan Brown and Bobby Flay can both catch these hands any day. <laughs> Bobby Flay. I hate him so much. It always pissed me off when he was on Iron Tiff America. Like, the episode oh, of Bobby Flay are the fucking worst ones. What so a boring awful. guy. Also, uh, there's a show called Beat Bobby Flay, I'm sure you know, <laughs> and I wish it was you just beat him with a baseball bat. <laughs> Like, Take his fucking barbecue tongs and shove him in his mouth. motherfucker. <laughs> Bobby Flay. That's a show I would watch. Uh, there's a, a Twitter account, it's my favorite Twitter account, called Pansexual Bobby Flay, <laughs> which I think that person hates Bobby Flay as much as I do. Um, and I'm pansexual. And... I'm only for saviosexual Bobby Flay. <laughs> Ew! <laughs> Saviosexuals are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> just say you're boring and go already. You just turn on my brains. <laughs> okay, bye everyone. <laughs> uh. See you soon. Love you, bye. <laughs>